If you decided to listen to this week's message of Daxadeo Fichard Park, we know that Jesus has placed something on your heart. So let's dive in. We are in the last week of our series, our Easter series called Jesus Is. And we have spoken about this thing that Jesus is greater. He's greater than your perception of Him. He's greater than your religious upbringing. He is greater. And tonight I want to start like this. Uh, there's a famous picture and a famous uh, a metaphor that uh, all through the ages we've been using. And it's this thing of if you have six blind people uh, around an elephant and you ask each of them, what are you seeing in that sense? And they use their hands to feel what they are experiencing you would probably hear the guy at the trunk describe this elephant as a snake, an anaconda snake. You would probably have the guy at the ear feel it and say, no, it's a very, very expensive carpet. <laughs> you would have the guy at the like, trunk, ach, the what tusks, the tooth, the teeth, um, and they would say, it's a spear. You would have the guy at the paw and they would say, no, it's a massive tree. It's a tree trunk. You have the guy at the tail say, it's probably a rope of some sort. Here's the incredible thing about life and the scary thing about life is that you as a person, each one of us interprets life differently from our own perceptions, from our own beliefs, from our own understanding. And you feel life, you feel things in life and you explain it in a certain way because of who you are, because of your upbringing, because of your perceptions and your ideas, your predispositions about life. If you ask one person how they experienced KFC, they would say it's, it's what? Heavenly? It's finger licking good? You would ask the people that stays here in Fijar Park, what do you guys think of KFC? And they would tell you, they don't have chicken. I hate that place. So please don't go to this one. If you're the owner, come and speak to me. You always have to have chicken at KFC, my friend. It's what? Fried chicken. That's your thing. Come on. But all of us has got different perspectives on life different understandings from your tastes and your understanding. And the scary thing is when you do that with Jesus, it becomes very dangerous. Because all of us has got ideas, predispositions, perspectives on who Jesus is. And A.W. Tozer, a famous theologian, said the following. He said, the most important thing about you is what you think when you think about God. For a moment, just close your eyes with me. If I say the word Jesus, what comes to mind? What is that picture? What do you see? Okay, before you fall asleep, you can open it now again. That picture, that thing that you saw is the most important thing about you. Why am I saying this? Because... What you believe about Jesus will have an effect on every aspect of your life. I had a conversation a few weeks back with a guy 
And he explained to me that he, he, he made massive mistakes in his past. And now he believes that what he has experienced now in his life, the problems, the issues, the struggles, is actually a reflection and of God punishing him for his past. You see, obviously he's got an idea of what Jesus is and who Jesus is. And now he's bringing that perception into his reality. It's a wrong perspective. It's a wrong predisposition. It's a wrong view of Jesus. And what we want to do in this series is actually to help us as a church understand the, the true character, the true person that we worship named Jesus. So in week one, we discussed this whole thing of Jesus came to his disciples and he asked them, so who do the people say I am? <laughs> I mean, we love what the people say, hey? Uh, I mean, we are very keen to quote, you know, the people say this and that. I just want to know who are the people. If I can meet those group, that group of people, I am going to be very informed and rich because the people has got opinions. So Jesus asked his disciples, who do the people say I am? And, and, and they say, no, no, some say you're John the Baptist. Some say you're Elijah. Some say you're this big prophet. And then Jesus asked them the most important question. And he's also asking that to you tonight. But who do you say I am? So you have to know the disciples were not the A candidates, not the distinction guys. They, were, they have been thrown out from Torah school. So all of them were just looking down, you know. Jesus is asking this crucial question, but they don't know. And obviously the bright spark, Peter. Any one of you like that? You shout out in claws. Stop it, it's irritating. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> Peter says, Lord, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus said to him, flesh has not revealed that to you. It's only my father in heaven that has revealed that to you. And on this rock, Jesus said, not Peter. Peter is only human. But on this foundation, on this understanding that Jesus is the Messiah, the son of God, on that rock, I will build my church. Friends, Doxadeo and any other church in the city is not built on a person, a personality, a great worship team, a great friendship circles, a brand, a name. Our church is built on the person of Jesus, the son of the living God. It's not built on a pastor. And sorry, I'm just human. You come to my house, ask Eddie, he lives with me. He can tell you. I also shout at my kids sometimes. Yeah, no ways. I'm also tired. I'm human because our church is not built on a personality. Our church is built on the person and the work of Jesus Christ. That is the foundation of this church. You don't connect to church or to Christianity because it's nice or some people brought you. You connect to this thing called the Christian faith because you follow Jesus, the Messiah, the living Son of God. But we have to understand who this Jesus really is. So who do the people say? He is. There are many popular opinions about Jesus these days. <laughs> Just ask someone. You know, what do you think about Jesus? Some would tell you 
He's the spiritual policeman. He watches over your shoulder. He, I, mm -mm, don't do that, do that. If you ever had bad idea of Jesus, you know, he's always with you, with his uniform, checking you out. Yo, you have to salute him in the mornings. Jesus. Some of us has this idea that he's the old man in heaven. He's got a proper beard. He's definitely 90 years old. He can't hear that good anymore. So he's slow to respond, you know. You would ask him, Jesus, I'm struggling with something, or Jesus, I have a problem. And then he, he can't hear you properly, so he responds in a whole different way. So you would ask him, Lord, I have a lot of weight on my shoulders at the moment. Can you please help me? And he's a bit hard hearing, so he would give you more physical weight because he didn't hear the sentence properly. You know, the old man in heaven is nice, but he's slow. Sometimes we have the understanding of Jesus, the soft and gentle Jesus, meek and mild, with the long L'Oreal hair, the oil of face shining, the perfect bart oily beard, the soft eyes, the white dress. He's really meek and mild. He's really just nice, with a soft voice. Jesus. Now, my friend, that's not the picture of the Bible. Jesus was a carpenter. Anyone work with your hands? Can I see? Just show them at me quickly. You know, they are not the, you know, comfort cream hands. They, they're hard because they work with stuff. Jesus was a man's man. He was a manly man. I mean, at one stage, he was so angry at the Pharisees and the scribes because they sold offerings in the temple at a very high price. So the people couldn't afford it. Jesus became so angry that he made a whip and threw them out, threw the tables over. He was, he was a man's man. He had righteous anger in him. He's not Jesus, the gentle Roman Catholic guy Who's, <laughs> Sometimes we have this idea that he's the CEO of the world. So he's running everything. He's got screens of all the continents before him. I hear Africa is splitting now. So obviously he's giving his attention to that at the moment and the Ukraine war. And then you come with your silly stuff. You know, Jesus, my points are not where I wanted to be. Or Jesus, my parents are mad at me. And he's like... <laughs> Uh, yes, uh, thank you. I've got bigger things to worry about. I'm, I'm dealing with Ukraine now. Thank you. D did you see Africa, the continent, is splitting, my friend? Go and sort out your own stuff, you know. That's sometimes the perceptions that we have about Jesus. And these perceptions filters through everything in our lives. One of the perceptions that we want to bash tonight is this idea that Jesus is far away, that God is at a distance. You see, most of us, somewhere in our walk with God, has experienced something like this. There's a season in your life where you maybe met Jesus, you started following him, and it's going great. I mean, 
you come to church, you have goosebumps, you cry all the time. People need to calm you down. They take you back. They pray with you. They bring tissues, you know, buy you a coffee because it's so overwhelming. But then at some point in this journey, things are not going so great with you. And you feel that there's a bit of a distance growing between you and God. So now you come to church and you don't respond that way anymore. Or you read your Bible and it's nothing. You pray and it seems like your prayers are not, you know, reaching heaven. There's a filter. Someone is hijacking your prayers. Maybe you messed up somewhere in this journey and you feel like, I'm really fearful to turn to God, so I am keeping him at a distance. So this week I came home from work and uh, I know my children very well. They really can't hide anything from me. I work with people each day, so every expression of the face, I really feel for them because <laughs> they really can't hide anything from me. Even the baby, I see past his sinful nature. Don't think, you know, throwing your titi bottle at me is not sinful. That's sin in you. No, I'm just joking. Chill. I'm a very gracious father. So I came home this week and I saw my eldest boy and he was, he was, um, Fermaying me, um, avoiding me. He was avoiding me. So I came in. I always, when I walk into the door, I greet each guy by his name, you know, pick them up close to me, kiss them, even if they don't want to be kissed, tell them, hey, how are you? But he's nowhere to be found in the house. So, you know, I'm greeting everyone, doing my thing. And like an hour later, he comes to me and he says, Daddy, um, I want to show you something. Something terrible happened. I was like, sure, okay. You know, let's go. And he takes me to this little flat that I have uh, at the back of my house where Eddie is staying. Just Eddie is my fourth boy, so I love him to bits. But he shows me, no, there was a thief that came and broke the window at Eddie's flat. And, uh, you know, and he showed it to me. He says, I, I went there and I, I didn't see the thief, but I saw that the, the, um, the window is broken. But I saw that it's the window underneath. I'm like, okay. <laughs> and I said, sure, okay, this is a terrible problem. Let's, let's um, call the police or let's do something. You have to make a, you know, a big deal out of this. You know, someone might have been broken into this little flat. And he says, oh, yo, no, it's bad. And he walks away again. I follow him. I follow him. I follow him. Boys, it's long weekend. Come on. <laughs> I'm not bringing my best tonight, okay? I'm bringing all that I have. <laughs> so he turns to me, breaks down in tears. He's like, Daddy, it was me. <laughs> I said, yes, what happened? I could see the fear. I could see the... And he said, no, I saw that Uncle Eddie wasn't home, so I kicked the window to see if he was home. So that was still a lie, but he, 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 you know, he repented. So I forgave him. I said, I'm going to take responsibility for it. But you see, sometimes we do exactly that with God. When we mess up, we keep him at a distance. Why do we do that? Why is your experience sometimes of God one who is far away? 
One of the ideas that I want to share with you tonight is actually not from the Bible. It's not theology. It's psychology. Thank the Lord for psychology because they discovered this thing of projection. Do you know the concept of projection? Thank you. Projection is basically the following. When you have a negative experience, for instance, with an authority figure in your life, a parent, a teacher, a headmaster, a whatever, a leader, you have a negative experience with that, as someone, they perform lower than your expectations. What we do sometimes is we project the pain, we project the disappointment with that person onto someone else. Let me give you a practical example of that in your life. So maybe you had someone in school that teased you or you had a bad experience with a friend and now you uh, meet a new person with the same kind of personality or even just the same kind of looks and immediately you don't like them. Anyone experience that in your life? Just be honest. It's projection. I mean, you didn't even have a conversation with that person yet, but you don't like them. Why? Because you're projecting negative experiences with other people onto this person. Then you, you start testing it. You start asking your friends, is, that a, you know, is this person as bad as I think he is? And they would tell you, no, he's a hoot. You know, become friends with him. And then you discover, okay, this person is not actually so bad. We do that with God, friends. Sometimes our negative experiences with, for instance, our parents, we project that sometimes onto God. So maybe you had a parent who was present but emotionally distant. They placed you at a distance. Maybe after conflict with your parents, you had to come and reconcile the relationship. They didn't come to you to fix the chasm between you. You had to do that. You had to take responsibility for that. Maybe sometimes when you had issues and uh, depressive thoughts or tendencies or whatever, they would just tell you, get your act together, man. You're not supposed to be that oppressed in this house. This is a joyful house. So sort out yourself. Don't come with all your crying and moaning and stuff. And sometimes our pain or disappointment with something like our parents, we project that onto God and we think that God is the same. But I have good news for you tonight. And I want you to turn your Bible to Ephesians 2, where Paul writes a beautiful truth that will set you free tonight. Listen to this, Ephesians 2 verse 12 to 13. It says the following, Remember that at that time you were separated or separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenant promises without hope and without God in the world. But now Christ Jesus you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Yes, that was a reality about your life at some stage. There was a 
chasm between you and God, a distance between you and God that was so big that you as a person can't breach that gap. You see, that is sometimes our misperception about God. Yes, we all agree that sometimes we feel distant from God, but the misconception comes who takes responsibility to breach that gap. You see, we think sometimes, yeah, God did everything for me. Now I have to play my part. I have to do my part in the deal. But listen to these words. Paul says, now in Jesus, you who were once far away have been, I'm not an English teacher, but I think that's past tense, have been, it's done, brought near by the blood of Christ. You see, you were without Christ, now you are in Christ. At one stage, you were excluded from Christ, now you are included in Christ. At one stage, you had no insight into the promises of God, but now you are a beneficiary of the promises of God. At one stage, you were without hope, now you are experiencing a new hope. And what did you do for it? Nothing. It has happened to you in Christ. He has brought you near. He chose you from the foundation of the world to be in His Son, Jesus. And Jesus brought you near to God. How? Two things. First thing is the death of Jesus. The death of Jesus was so incredible and it, it wasn't just a historical happening. It has implications on us today. Let's read Hebrews 10 quickly. Hebrews 10 verse 19 to 22. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain. That is his body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart, with full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. What is happening here? Most holy place, the curtain. I mean, what is this? Kloppers. I don't know. I, I, I don't understand what's happening here. Let me explain. So in the temple or in the tabernacle of Israel, there was three spaces. And the most holy, the holy of holies, had a massive curtain I brought a picture with, just to illustrate, that separated the other parts from the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant at that stage was the symbol of God's presence. This was a massive curtain. It was woven with blue and red, you know, thread and purple thread. But it wasn't your standard sheet street kind of curtain, you know. The, the curtains we have today is like, you can barely see them there. You actually have, have you been in a house without curtains? Anyone? 
We go for open plan these days. No curtains. I remember my grandmother's house. She had three railings, a block out, uh, you know, that one with the nice pictures on it, and then the actual curtain. But these days, it's blinds or nothing. It's like your neighbors can watch into your house as you cook. I know where your minds went. Ish. Interesting fact about this curtain, it had two angels woven into it, two cherubims, angels. Now, if you're a bit of a Bible freak, your mind must go like this now. Because what happened in the Garden of Eden? Adam and Eve had perfect access, perfect union with God. After they sin, after they actually chose against that, against God, they were thrown out of Eden. And what was placed at the entrance of the garden to guard them from not having that access anymore? Two angels, two cherubims. You see, this tabernacle or this temple, the most holy place, was a symbol of the separation between God and man. You didn't have access to the presence of God. Once a year, the high priest had to sacrifice a whole lot. I mean, Dienier meat market, pick and pay meat market, all of them would run out of meat because this guy would be sacrificing meat from Monday to Monday. I mean, it was braai all over the place. Before he would go into the holy place to represent the people and offer sacrifices to actually go into the presence of God. And you know what they did, the people of Israel? They would tie a rope around his ankle. Why? Because they had many experiences where the high priest wasn't so high. He, had, he was a kind of a he had some dirty sins that no one knew about, so he would die there at, at the Ark of the Covenant. I mean, if you listen and you don't hear your high priest pray anymore, you've got trouble. <laughs> so what they did is they learned from their mistakes, and so now they put a rope around his ankle that if he was a dirty high priest, they would actually pull him out, you know, otherwise he would rot in there. No one wants to go in there. So that was the picture of the most holy place. Only the high priest, after many offerings, could go in, innocent, blameless, and represent the people there, and God would forgive their sins, and he would come back with good news if he's alive. God has forgiven you. Go. What happened with Jesus? Hebrews tells the story of Jesus being the last high priest. Never again is there someone needed to go and represent you in the presence of God. Because Jesus was the perfect high priest, the last one. And the Bible tells us that he went into God's presence and he offered himself as the sacrifice. And his sacrifice was perfect. 
once for all, Hebrews says. No longer is there needed to be another sacrifice for any human sin. It has been dealt with finally in the high priest Jesus. He became the sacrifice. And what happened at the cross when Jesus entered into the presence of God and became our sacrifice? What happened? The veil was torn in two from top to bottom. Access. You see, we sometimes close the curtain again on God's presence because we feel guilty, we're afraid. We're not sure what's happening there. But my friend, listen to this. There's no longer any distance or any barrier when it comes to the presence and the person of God. Because in Christ, the veil is torn. The curtain is done with. You can give it back to Sheet Street. It's over. Not only do you have access to the presence of God, but His presence came and lived in you. That is what happened on the cross. Nobody can undo what Jesus has done. Nobody. So that's the first thing. You have to understand that Jesus conquered the distance forever on your behalf. You are in Christ. You are with Him. When he died, you died. Your name is written on his hands when he died. You were with him. Yes, but I wasn't there. Yes, but you were there. Sure, this Christian faith is a bit of teleportation or like time traveling. My friend, Jesus died for every human being. He paid the perfect price for every individual on the cross. He went into the Holy of Holies with your name connected. You are included. You are included in that. The second thing is not only the death of Jesus, but also the resurrection. You see, what is possibly the greatest distance the greatest chasm between God and man. What? Death. Romans 6, Paul teaches that the wages of sin is death. Oh, that's extreme. You know, why, why is that? You know, if I continue in sin, at the end, I will experience death. It's because of this thing, that sin in itself is actually choosing to turn away from life. It's choosing against God's order of life. Sin is actually turning your back on life. And if you continue in that direction, the end of that is death. Spiritual death, physical death, eternal separation from God. That is what sin does to a person. So our biggest fear in life sometimes is death because of this. You are scared that after 
you cross over from life to death, that you will be eternally separated from God. So your fear now, your experience of distance now is just a reflection of that deep fear in your heart. I've, I have so much good news to tell you, my friend. Listen to Paul again in Ephesians 2. It says, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace that you have been saved. At one stage in your life, you were dead in your transgressions. You couldn't get out of it. You had no hope. But now, you have been placed in Christ. When he rose from the dead, he conquered death. You were there with him. You rose with him from death to life. Death is not an intimidation anymore for Christians. Because we know that in Christ, we will be raised. We have been raised. We have resurrection life. Nothing can separate you. Listen to this. Nothing can separate you, Romans 8 says, from the love of God. Not even death, says Romans 8. If someone had to separate you from God, they would have to come through God the Father through God the Holy Spirit, through God the Son, to come and take you out of Him, I think that's impossible. If you are in Christ, your future is life, eternal life. Death is defeated. You don't have to struggle with fear of death anymore because you know that you have been made alive. Can someone just look happy about that? It looks like, yes, thank you. Someone is getting it. My friend, let that truth just sink into your heart tonight. No more separation. The distance has been canceled. How does that play out in our personal lives now? Two things. Jesus is greater than your mistakes. Jesus is greater than your emotions. Firstly, you see, we feel distance between us and God, not when we're doing great, when it's going well with us. We feel distance when we are Christopher, my oldest boy, who did something terribly wrong, and now he's hiding away. Do you believe tonight that Jesus is greater than your biggest failures? If you for one moment think that your mistakes, your sin, your issues can nullify the grace of God, my friend, you're arrogant to think that your issues and your mistakes are bigger than the grace of God. It's a mistake to think like that. 
God's love and His grace for you is over and above what you need. Your mistakes are nothing compared to His grace for your life. Jesus is greater than your mistakes. Yes, Eugene, but I have, I have had 70 of those this week. And can you for one moment comprehend the grace and the love of God for you? He gave his life. He's greater than your mistakes. Secondly, he's greater than your emotions. You see, emotions, is, they are very important. They give you a sense of what's real and what's not. It's human to have emotions. But let me just tell you, emotions have next to nothing to do with who God is and your relationship with Him. Emotions are just an experience of life. It tells you nothing about the truth in terms of your connection with God. In your darkest moments, anxiety maybe, maybe the feeling of depression, when you are confronted with the deep emotions of isolation, of being separated from God, of God giving up on you, let me tell you the good news tonight. They are only emotions. They are not a reflection of the truth. The truth about you and I is that Jesus is greater than our emotions. He went behind the veil. He went into death itself and he conquered it. The truth about your life is this. Distance has been canceled. The gap is breached. You are no longer there. You are brought near. Maybe the worship team can join me. We just want to respond tonight with a song and just say thank you for this truth. This Easter weekend is all about the good news of Jesus. No longer trapped in sin and death. We are made free. We have space. We have been brought near. Won't you stand to your feet with me? We're going to pray together. Maybe you have been struggling with a thing of feeling far from God or feeling at a distance from Him. I don't know what the reasons are. I don't know where you are tonight. But can I invite you to respond to the Spirit's leading in your heart tonight to say, Lord, I, I not only hear this truth, but I take it for myself. I embrace it with everything that I have, that there's no longer distance. I have been brought near. Let's pray together. Maybe if you're at that place, won't you lift up your hands with me? I want to pray for you and with you tonight. Jesus, we celebrate tonight that you are the victorious one. You are bigger than our mistakes. You are bigger than our emotions. 
God, you have conquered death. In you, we have been brought near Jesus. No longer distance. You are not watching us from a distance. We are in you, Christ. Lord, we repent of our projection tonight that we have placed negative ideas about what we have experienced in life on you, Lord. And we repent of that. And we ask Jesus that you would come and rewrite our perception, rewrite our beliefs, come and challenge the way that we see you tonight. We celebrate your resurrection. You are alive and we are included. We praise your name. Amen. What a message. If you feel that someone would benefit from this, share it with them. We are all about family on mission.